0: Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report Podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder. Today, I'm joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today?
1: It's a bye week. That is fantastic. The weather's getting nice outside, Ethan. We're going to start enjoying these mornings, crisp mornings at, at practices here in the second half of the season. The evenings are great. You get out there, you hang out by the patio, you drink an adult beverage. I mean, gosh, it's pretty nice.
0: All right. I mean, you can't really complain. Cole, Cole Bradley, I'm also joined by you today. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. And as always, I hope you're doing well as well, Ethan.
0: I am doing well as well. Thank you for asking. Noah Furtado, I'm also joined by you today. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing good. I'm
3: doing good.
0: He seems not happy that I went to him last, but it was just the order of the Zoom, I swear. You just happen to be last this time. Maybe join earlier, I don't know. Figure out how you decide to not be on the end of the Zoom call. But anyways, let's talk about a little bit of football. This, as you guys know, is a bye week, as Chris just said. So it's actually a little bit of a special edition free podcast for you guys. Normally, we would have a premium podcast later on in the week, previewing an ASU game in the weekend. But since there is not one, we're going to give you Pick the Pack on the free podcast this week where we give all of our picks for Pac-12 football this weekend, which will not include ASU, but there still will be some good games to pick, so make sure to stick around for that. But before that, let's talk some ASU football. ASU won 38 over number 21, Washington at Sun Devil Stadium. Initial takeaways from everyone, it was a pretty interesting game. All of us ended up picking Washington to win, but we all did say Washington would not cover, so maybe in that way some of us might have been right in that regard. But, Noah, I'll go to you first. What were your initial takeaways from this one?
3: The offense just looked, uh, they followed the trajectory that you could have expected if you were saying that building off of the good first half against USC, they were going to take a step further. Uh, I wasn't necessarily sure uh, that that would happen. We've sort of seen strides made and then uh, regression after that. Um, You know, in, in real life, it really doesn't work necessarily like that every time where you see just consistent improvements from game to game, but that's exactly what they, uh, were able to do. Um, and granted it was against a Washington secondary, um, that was known as the weakness going in, uh, and they were able to take advantage of that, uh, when Emory Jones was in the game. And then when, uh, Trenton Borgay came in to replace him, obviously, uh, ridiculous performance from Borgade. Definitely not something that uh, we saw coming, even when he came in, uh, just judging from what we've seen from him lately. Uh, Wasn't the best performer during uh, preseason camp. We'll sort of get into some of the context behind all of that. But uh, uh, regarding his performance on Saturday, three touchdowns, um, just one interception. You know, I I thought seeing him bounce back uh, from that mistake and lead another touchdown drive thereafter uh, was huge. Uh, it seemed like the momentum was shifting because after that point, Washington comes down, scores, ties the game up. Uh, and, you know, at least from my point of view, I, I saw it as sort of a, a crumbling point for ASU potentially uh, to really give up the momentum that they had built uh, with Bourget at quarterback. And that wasn't the case, didn't turn out to be. Um, Coming into that contest, I also thought that um, uh, at least what I thought they needed to do uh, to really be successful was uh, feature Xavier Invalade. Like they really should uh, every game, regardless of some of the changes, perhaps um, against certain defenses, he should always sort of be a focal point for them. And and he was uh, on the ground. He was over 100 yards rushing, uh, sort of established, set the tone in that regard. Uh, Borgay mentioned afterwards uh, that it was nice to be able to rely on the ground game and sort of play off of that uh, with a lot of, you know, quick passes, um, slants, swing routes, things of that nature. And then every now and again, as he sort of was establishing more and more confidence with completions, uh, easy ones at that uh, to go and take some shots downfield which was uh, actually one of the most surprising things to me Borgay doesn't necessarily have the um, uh, the biggest arm definitely a lot uh, a lot less than uh, what Jones provides in that regard but he hit some big plays Uh, one the the one that comes to mind um, most easily is the one down to Thompson that uh, got ASU down to the one yard line set up and got his first rushing touchdown of the season it was like threaded through two zone defenders down the seam and it was pretty much on the money. It was a great catch by Thompson also, like he was able to adjust to it uh, and pull it in. But, you know, overall, those are some of the things that stood out to me. The performance by Bourgade definitely was, uh, was something that fueled, I think, the, the morale of the team to be able to see him come in and play the way he did. Uh, and, you know, everyone sort of seemed to, to sort of play off of that uh, energy.
0: Well, Cole, there might not be much that Noah didn't already cover there in his initial takeaways, but what initial- and the podcast
1: now? I mean, we just we just thought uh, now. <laughs> Good job, what Good job. Did you Good have- job Noah. See you guys next week,
2: yeah. I mean, uh, not too much outside of what Noah Noah covered, especially on the offensive side of the ball. What I will say is that while ASU didn't have the greatest performance defensively. In fact, I wouldn't really say it was a great performance at all. Um, I will say probably one of the biggest keys in this game was just their timeliness. Uh, there were some big stops throughout this game, um, particularly on some crucial uh, fourth downs. Uh, Washington turned turned the ball over on downs three times uh, this game. Uh, their opening drive in the second half, which we'll talk a little bit about that, um, that was a big, big crucial moment there. Um, there were some game-changing plays that we'll talk about as well, but they also held um, Michael Penix Jr. Uh, touchdownless through the air throughout this one. I mean, they prioritized running the ball a little bit more, so that was, that was definitely uh, a difference, I'd say, from uh, what we had previously seen from this Washington team this season um, coming in. But regardless, I, I will say that was definitely one of the bigger keys of this game. While it wasn't the greatest – performance for asu's defense it was they they came up with some of the more timely plays um offensively noah very elaborately covered it all of it pretty much um and honestly i mean it's it's sort of the same thing that i i saw i mean whether it was emery jones or Trent borgay in their asu just looked like they were moving the ball at, at a way better rate um much more efficiently the play calling, again, was a step up from what it was against USC. So it's clearly uh, – they're clearly adapting in that regard. Glenn Thomas um, and Sean Aguano uh, have clearly worked together to try and iron those things out because it's it's drastically improved um, from what we saw, you know, just a few weeks ago, honestly. Um, so uh, those were definitely the biggest takeaways for me.
0: Chris, what else can you add in terms of initial takeaways?
1: Yeah, and pretty much nothing. I think we got it. There. No. Um, look, I feel like uh, I'll, I'll split. I'll split the difference between Cole and Noah. Uh, the really, the game was 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 largely early on set in motion by um, Gay getting the touchdown on a handoff on his first play, followed by Jordan Clark getting a pick six where Penix just threw the ball off a teammate's helmet into the sky, and anybody would have probably been able to catch the ball and run it into the end zone there. Um, That gave ASU a lot of sort of positive mojo energy. Then what happened after that was Washington tried to to go for a fourth and one from deep in its own territory around the 30-something yard line, and uh, it was a jet sweep that went backwards. Great play by Merlin Robertson and by Corey Bethley, actually, to get a negative yardage play on that, um, which was then sort of followed up by another touchdown that ASU had, pretty – like a 29-yard uh, touchdown uh, that Borgay um, had a nice pass. And, and so it was like pretty quickly uh, ASU scored three times with uh, Borgay in the game to go from three points to 24 to 10 lead at that point, right? Um and I, I just – we can't really understate uh, how bad that Washington's defense, especially its secondary, was in this game. Everybody's going to talk about, understandably so, that Borgay played really well. But Washington started a true freshman at that corner. Um, and then also had uh, Tristan Dunn, who's a freshman safety that was once committed ASU, play pretty extensively. In the first half, they struggled – quite significantly on their coverages and were picked apart. and uh, every Jones was 709 prior to getting knocked out of the game on that personal foul um, late hit. So I, I just I think that this was a ripe opportunity for ASU. We talked about it going into the game that, um, that we thought this was going to probably be a lot closer than that 14-ish point spread that was ridiculous. And I thought there was a pretty decent chance even for ASU to win um, if, it, if it were able to get the type of offense that it that ultimately did get. And then some crucial late stops, which ended up happening. Um, not really a super big surprise, actually, that ASU won this game, all things considered. And um, yeah, there's still a lot that needs to be improved and uh, worked on and developed.
0: Yeah, and, and all three of you guys talk about initial takeaways, and there's really no other way of talking about this game without talking about Trenton Borgay and what he did coming in with the opportunity that he was given. Chris, a lot of fans and people listening to this podcast might be asking themselves, why was this the first time Borgay really got an opportunity on the field? So can you walk us through a little bit of his timeline at ASU and just how it's kind of progressed to the point now that – he is now possibly in a quarterback battle.
1: Right. So I posted about this on the board pretty extensively on Sunday. So I'm not going to go quite as detailed as that, but basically uh, he was an extremely successful high school quarterback at Marana in near Tucson, uh, joined ASU as a walk-on. He's, he's undersized. Noah state he doesn't have a, that big of an arm. Sean Iguano also said the same thing. So not, not a big guy, not a big arm probably got overlooked should I have had more opportunities didn't uh, ends up at ASU the same year as Jaden Daniels right uh, the most heralded recruit of all time at ASU at quarterback highest ranked I should say at least and Daniels looked great his first spring uh, pretty clearly you know won the job easily as a freshman had a very good freshman season everybody knows extremely successful people were thinking oh Jane Daniels has a chance to win the highest trophy at ASU after that, of course, then 2020, COVID, ASU only plays a four-game schedule. Should it beat USC? Everybody on the offense seemingly got COVID before UCLA. They take a month, month break off. They don't play well. They come back, win the next two games, Arizona, Oregon State, just kill them. So, of course, James Daniels is going to continue as quarterback in 2021. Um, then what happened is Trenton Borgay suffered a, uh, a stress fracture in his foot in August of 2021. And so uh, he didn't have surgery. He was trying to, to suck it up and play through it, but he wasn't able to do a lot of the things that he was prior. So when Jane Daniels struggled in 2021, there wasn't really a good option to be able to go to Trenton Bourget, given the fact that he was injured. Well, then Bourget continued to to try to rehab it and get better without having surgery. His sort of playing far less than his, his best capability uh, continued on into the spring where he couldn't separate from paul tyson uh and asu decided to go out and try to get emory jones which happened then uh Bourguet had surgery in the end of spring ball end of march april took a few months to rehab he wasn't even really i don't think near full strength 100 in camp he was bothered enough that he had to miss some practices and the, you know, just the screw that had been put in his foot was kind of rubbing on him and hadn't sort of built up uh, a callus is w- the way it was described to me. Um, so he wasn't close to himself, like a fully healthy version. Jones wasn't really challenged. He won the job. But then over the two months after that, basically Bourget kept continuing to get better uh, from a health standpoint and improve he always was somebody who had the ability to operate really quickly and understand scheme and uh, ex- execute his assignment, understand where to go with the football and why and how. And so he was able to put those things on display in a very sort of uh, friendly overall situation, which it was basically uh, Glenn Thomas figuring out kind of what his personnel is over the last few weeks. Sean Aguano saying that we got to be more aggressive on offense And then it was against the secondary that was uh, just not good at all right now. And it was at Sun Devil Stadium. So you put all that stuff together and some of the uh, short field situations that he had to start with in that first half. And it just it just worked out perfectly for Bourget.
0: Definitely worked out perfectly. And he had. A great performance, but let's talk a little bit about the game. So we'll first talk about the first half, then go into the second half. But first half-wise, ASU were playing decently, staying in the game. ASU was playing good and staying in the game. And Borgay came into the second quarter. Emery Jones goes down with a head injury off of – he slid and he got hit. It was later deemed a targeting penalty. He had to walk out off the field into the locker room, and here comes – Borgay into the game. First play was a touchdown, ties it up at 10 10. Then another passing touchdown from Borgay, a pick six from Jordan Clark, and then a touchdown from Washington. The game's 27 14, or sorry, 24 17 going into half for ASU. So, just from the first half and what you saw from just the first half specifically, Cole, what did you think about kind of everything that went down in the first half of the game?
2: Well, I mean, Outside of, like, the really big plays, I mean, ASU came out and at least looked like they were matching Washington sort of pound for pound in terms of offensive output. Washington came out in their opening drive and put together a very um, solid and, you know, tone-setting, methodical scoring drive that, um, you know, put them on the board. And then ASU came back, got on the board, field goal, I'm pretty sure, uh, and then just, you know, sort of progressively got better in terms of moving the ball throughout. Um, And then once the second quarter came, came around, that's when obviously, you know, you had the, that's when it got really eventful, obviously, you know, you had Borgay come in and almost immediately um, the production just was, you know, got exponentially or grew exponentially, I should say. And um, obviously there was the, there was the first play touchdown when he got in um I think the biggest play that you covered that was sort of momentum swinging in terms of this one was the Jordan Clark pick six which almost by by accident I would say sort of just you know ended up not not by accident ended up in his hands but that's I mean that was one of those circumstances where the ball just kind of pops up in the air and it's sort of on a tee for a defender to come and get it so it's it's one of those where um you sort of have to take advantage and I mean, ASU didn't really look back from that point. Um, Washington was able to, you know, tie it um, later on, but that that play proved to really be, um, you know, what ended up setting ASU apart in this one, I think. And overall, that was probably my biggest takeaway from the first half. There was definitely an energy shift there, as well as if there wasn't one to begin with when Borgay came in. Um, it, just, it just, you know, the... The crowd that was in attendance, which that's a whole nother thing, but, you know, definitely was a little bit more pleased, I'd say, and a little bit more fired up after the pick six um, than some of those previous touchdowns. Um, so you could just tell the energy just completely shifted at that moment. So I think that was probably my biggest takeaway from the first half.
0: Noah, what can you add in terms of what you thought about the first half of play?
3: I just felt borghese opening like his first full drive was an eye-opener. I can't say for sure what each of the players on ASU sideline thought of it, but from where we were sitting in the press box, uh, it was extremely impressive. Uh, Chris mentioned there were some favorable situations where, you know, they had good field position, but that was not, that was not one of them. Uh, It was a very long drive, 11 plays, 90 yards. Chris was shaking his head as if I was uh, mistaken, got scared, but I think I am correct. So um, that that drive really set the tone for what Borgay could have expected from himself for the rest of the game and what, you know, aguano, Thomas, all of the offensive personnel uh, really, you know, it, it, I thought it gave them a boost in terms of, you know, without their starting quarterback, they could still, you know, stay in this game and and actually play ahead uh, of Washington so you know and there obviously we mentioned the sort of changes that ASU's offensive game plan had on the success of both quarterbacks the first play of that particular drive was a quick out to Badger allowed him to sort of get in space pick up some yards after catch Uh, there are a number of swing passes throughout um, and then mixed with you know rushing uh rushing plays that gain positive yardage Bourguet had was, was just impressive. There was a corner route, I remember, towards the latter half of, of that series in which, like, he just dropped it right uh, where he needed it to uh, to Badger. And, you know, that was the very – I think that was one of the plays, like, right before um, – like, right before he actually threw the touchdown, which was another uh, good play, another good read in which he was able to just sort of get it to Voliday no one in front of him. And then he just ran it very easily into the end zone. And so, you know, everything went right on that drive. And I thought, you know, that was sort of an indication that uh, ASU was going to be okay. Um, and I I just feel like that had an impact, uh, at least I, I feel like it had an impact on the team as a whole uh, to really s- see that uh, they could rely on uh, Borgay and um, what was really just, his first major opportunity, like his drives before that, whatever playing time he did have was not um, necessarily in a pressure situation, uh, especially not in, in the middle of a tight contest early uh, as well in, in a game against a ranked team, you know, so that was sort of, it was a turning point I felt uh, in the game. For Bourget and his teammates to really um, be able to, I guess, trust in each other, Uh, and that sort of carried through uh, the first half, and then you know it even sort of continued to show up consistently throughout uh, the second half, which we'll get to.
0: Chris, what were your thoughts on the first half and what ASU were able to do?
1: Yeah, well, remember um, the ASU had a penalty. Um, where they converted a a fourth down run, but uh, they had a legal formation, which moved them back, which led to the Carter Brown um, 53 or whatever yard field goal that he had. Um, And I I think that that drive, ASU was moving the ball quite well, Um, had a chance to get a touchdown out of it. That didn't happen. Then the next ASU drive, also moving the ball well, Uh, Jones, um, he ran for the first down on the play where he ended up getting hit. So that would have been first, first down deep in, in Washington territory. Um, so while ASU didn't really score the ball or put up a lot of offense in the first quarter, the, and the the game was more deliberate in that there was a lot of plays, um, in the first quarter and it had a little slower pace. I thought the game was going to end up, Always thought the game was going to end up being a higher scoring game from you know a long time ago. I just thought that the the over was a great bet. I thought that it was going to end up being a shootout of some kind, which it ended up being, but the but it didn't it didn't start out that way. Even though both teams were actually moving the ball uh, reasonably well, and then um, when ASU had that full field uh, drive that was led by Borgay, Sorry, Noah, but you were right on that. I was just my mind, I had the sequencing a little bit off, but um, I think that sort of even sort of accelerated ASU's momentum and its ability to be successful. There was only like, I think maybe one third and long um, on that scoring drive. And, um, and they just, their first and second down plays were just really successful out of the gate. It was just like, boom, boom, boom. They have like three, three first downs and like four or five plays. Um, And then the, uh, the, the third seven that Borgay hit Elijah Badger on, that was a really great throw. It was his first read. um, And Badger was open, kind of coming across on that one. And then uh, they, the, the, the touchdown to Valaday was a hot route, sort of a, they brought they, they blitzed off the edge they had man coverage that basically meant that a linebacker was going to be on validate no chance he pretty much walked into the end zone on that I mentioned earlier the interception that was sort of fortuitous pick six that was a you know a big play um, ASU wasn't able to uh, sort of cement the momentum I think like had ASU been able to get a, a stop pretty quickly after that, I think it would have given the Sun Devils like a real stranglehold on that game on the, on the game game. But, um, they Washington didn't even face a third long on like a 10 or something play drive after that. Um, and, and, um, so it still felt like a pretty close game kind of going into the half and, um, you know, just, ASU was, was going to get the ball out of halftime. And so, you know, I didn't – I felt like it was still very much a toss-up at that point.
0: Definitely could think of it as a toss-up. The second half was a little different in terms of, of how it went. Borgay, once again back, as Chris said, they got the ball to come out of the half was, was a three and out for ASU. But the game – some point, ASU were, were up a lot, tied 38-38 at one point. ASU ends up coming out on top 45-38. But, Cole, what were your thoughts on just the second half, maybe how it was different than the first half of play, or just what your thoughts were about it?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I I I think obviously because Borgay came in midway through the second quarter, you know, second half was really his first, like, just true, um, you know, full half obviously it was his only full half in the game and so I I think it was really a a, outside of the 11 play 90 yard scoring drive which was probably I mean at least I'd say the most impressive drive of the entire game I don't really think that's a hot take by any means Um, outside of that I'd say you know he just kept his foot on the gas Um, they were able to um, capitalize off the turnover on downs which I um, referenced before Um, it was Washington's opening drive in the third quarter. Um, fourth and one decided to go for it, ran a jet sweep. Merlin Robertson made probably his best play of the season. Corey Bethley was in on that stop as well. Go ahead, capitalize off of that five play, 29 yard drive that um, ends up with a, or no, that was actually, yeah, no, it was the five play, 29 yard drive that ended up um, being a score. It was a touchdown pass from Borgay to Badger that, um, Sort of opened up the scoring for them in the third, um, and then he had the second touchdown pass to Badger that ended up kind of be, proving to be the dagger uh, midway through the fourth. So it was just a lot more of um, it was him being able to carry over the momentum that he that he sort of started to generate in uh, the second quarter there um, with you know his uh, his long first drive. Um, and, you know, just not really looking back. And I think that overall in a game like this, um, where, you know, if you're ASU, you're without your starting quarterback, um, that has to be just the, you know, the, the biggest thing you take away is anytime a backup who can come in and, you know, put together a performance like that, where you're still able to fend off the number 21 team in the country. Um, you know, that's, that's all you can really ask for. So, that second half sort of exemplified just how much he was able to, um, you know, keep things going, especially for the offense. I mean, it was easily their best performance of the year. Um, It's the most points they've scored this season. Uh, They were really good on third downs as well. Uh, Nine of 13. um, I think it was. And so I I think all those things sort of just culminated into what just was a very um, surprising, but, you know, an incredible offensive performance for ASU. So that those were probably the biggest takeaways for me in the second half was just how how much they were able to just keep their foot on the gas.
0: Cole thinks the second half further shows what a good performance it was from ASU's offense and Trenton Bourguet. Noah, what were your thoughts on the second half?
3: I think it should be a pretty big emphasis um, for all ASU fans watching that second half um, that Trenton Bourguet really sort of encountered his first I guess his first sense of adversity um because he opened the half with three and out uh which ended and granted he was great on third downs for the majority of the game but there was an instance on that drive where third and three he misses Sanders um on a shallow out route underthrew him you know but he was able to then follow that up with with touchdown pass another big drive there uh, that led to a touchdown. And then even from that, uh, like he just, he wasn't unscathed. Like he had that drive where he, uh, that was stopped by the interception he threw, uh, which was prefaced by uh, another incompletion. Uh, so, you know, he, he sort of, he wasn't perfect, but I think what should be a promising for ASU fans is to see how he was able to sort of weather uh, some of those, you um, Bad plays, those those unproductive uh, series, and he was still able to sort of come out the next time and be able to lead uh, the ASU offense to some success. Uh, in addition to that, the offensive line uh, in the second half, they, they were good throughout the entire game, but the fact that they had not seen the same results against USC in the second half as in the first half, they had no sacks given up in that one until the second half which, in which they gave up five. And now they come into um, this Washington game. They do the same thing. They, they come out strong in the first half. Uh, we're able to protect uh, Jones and Borgay, no sacks. And then, you know, in the second half, if I'm not mistaken, they are playing at that point on without Ladarius Henderson. their starting left guard, perhaps their, their best offensive lineman. And their right tackle, starting right tackle, Des Holmes. They're playing with two backups there, Ben Bray, and Emmett Bowley, and they were able to hold their own, obviously, um, obvi- there, there's some other factors involved there with how quick the ball was coming out of, you know, Borgay's hand. They, they were running a lot of quick routes uh, oftentimes. Um, and then obviously they, they really did rely on the ground game uh, because they could, it was, it was well-established and continued uh, to produce uh, with Baladay and even Ngata in, in certain instances but it's still impressive to see a complete performance more or less from that offensive line to be able to protect their quarterback uh, in the pocket, no sacks throughout. And I thought uh, that was especially impressive given sort of the strength of the Washington defense. We, we've been talking about their secondary and how that was sort of a weak spot. Uh, you know, the, the pass rush was expected to be one of the things that potentially could have been an issue, uh, you know, at the line of scrimmage, ASU offense versus Washington defense, but uh, they really neutralized them uh, in that, in that respect. Um, so those were, I think those were the biggest things that really stood out to me as ASU was able to carry through um, to a, to a big, big upset win.
0: Chris, what else can you add regarding the second half that Cole and Noah maybe haven't gone over?
3: Well, look, ASU
1: only had 199 yards of total offense in the second half. Um, so, that's not some crazy amount, but they had the short field gift by Washington that led to a touchdown. They um, they then had the one nice drive that resulted in a touchdown. After that, where Borgay made um, a few really good throws, especially the one that Noah talked about earlier to Brian Thompson, that was that seam route that threaded in between two uh, defensive players. Remember, ASU... Earlier in the year, Emory Jones had missed on some that were even probably easier opportunities than that one. And Brian Thompson made a really great play. I will say, I think that the interception that Bourget threw that Noah also talked about was in large part because um, Brian Thompson didn't get out of his break uh, on, that, on that out route. I think that, I think that it was almost like the DB kind of ran the route for him. Um, so that one to me was as, as much, if not more, on Brian Thompson who then, of course, uh, had later on the big uh, completion down the sideline in the fourth quarter that uh, precipitated ASU's final score of the game, I believe. So Brian Thompson played well. He didn't have a particularly good rep on that one. Um, Bourguet missed a couple throws here and there. Uh, The one that, Noah, you talked about that led to the punt initially – I felt like that was very catchable by geo standards, but it was a little bit low and sort of short stepped. Um, but you know, again, it's not like ASU had some extreme output offensively. It was more like they, the Sun Devils, made the most of the chances they got. Remember, they took, they converted all five of their red zone trips into touchdowns in the game. Uh, they were gifted. They got a t- they had a defensive touchdown. They got a short field touchdown. Um so Washington's defense uh played quite poorly. I think it was a great point that Washington had no sacks in the game. Uh ASU's offensive line held up way better than I expected. One of the surprises of this game was after having to move Emmett Bowley to right tackle because of the Devs Holmes injury uh between he and and Isaiah Glass, and neither one of them gave up a bad sack or anything like that. Uh, ben Bray coming in for Ladarius Henderson, that was pretty impressive in the second half. So he, the, the offensive line did a great job. Of course, a big part of that is that Borgay got the ball out of his hand quickly. He did a good job of moving around, sliding when he felt pressure. He had the one touchdown where he probably uh, felt that A-gap and he moved out, you know, probably, you know, several yards to his right, bleeding going back over the middle, uh, you know, for the touchdown. So I just feel like um, there were a lot of things that worked quite well um, for, for ASU's offense in this game, but also um, a lot was was handed to them. Now, defensively, uh, not, not a particularly good performance, um, you know, especially when you look at the fact that Washington scored three straight possessions in – the second half, when ASU should have probably had a commanding lead and, and been able to shut the game down. Um, you look at just overall performance, third downs, ASU was great, nine and 13, uh, in a lot of short, shorter, more manageable third downs. But Washington, seven of 14. Still, you know, it's better than ASU's probably done on average, but ASU's been terrible. And that's still probably not good enough. Washington also converted um uh, you know uh, most of its red zone opportunities into touchdowns and with six i think f- five i think there are five red zone opportunities in the touchdowns with six and six in the red zone in the game so asu not done a very good job of being able to turn uh to limit scoring drives into field goal opportunities which i think is a big factor um the, the, the Huskies ran the ball kind of when they needed to, even though they didn't have an overall great game on the ground. Um, and uh, the ASU's secondary continues to be too lax, especially on the perimeter, which I think is a, a, something that they're going to have to take a, a look at. They, they need to play more man and, and bump coverages, I think, uh, to be able to counteract some of what's being delivered to them. Uh, very importantly, I think Jordan Clark had, a, had his best game as a Sun Devil. Uh, he had a, not just not just interception, but he also had um, a pass breakup. He had a very important stop. Uh, he had a tackle for loss. He had nine tackles overall in the game. Um, uh, the, the not really a surprise to me to see Corey Bethany continue to progress. He's one of the team's top tacklers. It was sort of surprising to me to see that he initially at the beginning of the season wasn't going to be maybe not a starter when I think he pretty clearly is one of their better defensive players. Overall, Kyle Sully continues to be a tackle machine. The defensive front has had injury problems and uh, continues to not probably perform to the degree that you would have expected only one sack in this game for ASU, the shared sack by Travez Moore and B.J. Green. And too many, still, too many penalties by ASU. They had to Marcus Davis uh, grabbing a receiver on a, you know, sort of a pivot route in the, in the, in the end zone on fourth down that followed a uh, another penalty by DJ Taylor. I believe that was also on that same drive on a third down. So that, that one touchdown was enabled by ASU penalties. The Sun Devils overall had 10 penalties in this game for 87 yards. There's just too many. They, they they can't be doing that, especially ones that that give up first downs or give up uh, touchdowns. So a lot that they still have to clean up. Overall, though, this was a this was obviously their best performance of the season.
0: Yeah, the best performance of the season, as you talked about, probably on both sides of the ball. But let's talk a little bit about the future now for ASU football. We talked about the win against Washington after the game. Head coach Sean Aguano said, interim head coach Sean Aguano said that the QB, the quarterback room is now going to be a battle. So Trenton Borgay has a big performance and now some are expecting it to be a battle between him and Emory Jones. Cole, what are your expectations for what this might mean for the quarterback room moving forward?
2: I mean, just based on what we've seen so far in terms of just like, you know, energy and like sort of the philosophy that. Sean Aguano starting to, or trying to implement, uh, I think part of that is breeding competition and, uh, healthy competition and, you know, with, with enough intensity to sort of, you know, bring the best out of everyone. Um, and I overall think he means well by it. And I, I think his quote post game, um, I, he probably meant to say something else. I mean, there's really no telling until we actually can get out there um, at the time of recording this tomorrow will be the first practice we'll uh, we'll be able to see since uh, Washington. But if they're sharing first team reps and um, going back and forth, um, you know, sort of trading trading off, I mean, that'll probably be a pretty good, a pretty big indica- indication that this indeed is a, you know, true quarterback battle. And if that's the case, I mean, I mean, that's quite I mean, that's quite the the storyline to sort of throw in, in the middle of a season that's already included a coaching change and you know one of the programs you know the program's worst start since nineteen seventy six so there's just been a lot that has happened um through the you know through the to the halfway point halfway point I guess but um honestly, given how Borgay performed, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you know, he comes out and is able to at least push Emery a little bit more for the starting job but do i think is going to lose the starting job i i don't think so i would lean towards towards a no um but i i again i wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being the other way around just given how how strong of an impression borgay was able to make and sort of the um you know the praise he was able to gen- to to garner from his teammates we heard a lot of players post game say that you know they weren't surprised by this you know he prepares better than anyone else um he sort of earned the right to be out there and sort of earn their trust um that's something that you know speaks volumes and outside of the overall performance i think you want a guy who you know your teammates speak pretty highly of you under center um you know you want to have that guy in there and i mean i i don't necessarily think it's it's a reflection on Emory jones but I mean, to put it bluntly, you know, nobody really said that of Emory Jones. And I think it also has a little bit to do to the fact that they aren't as used to him and, you know, he's coming from a different school. Uh, but we didn't really hear the same kind of like, you know, oh, it wasn't really a surprise to us. Like, you know, Trent works, you know, Trent works harder than almost anyone in practices and stuff. So, uh, you know, long story short, I, I, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if Borgay is the starter, um, against Stanford or, you know, maybe even moving forward. But I do think that even if there is a battle, I do think Emory Jones is probably still the guy, um, moving forward.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll also add on to that. They probably aren't surprised what he can do against NAU or something along those lines. Trittenberg aided against the number 21 Washington. So they may feel like they have to say they weren't surprised, but Noah, what what were your thoughts on, on this performance and what it may mean is, is this a quarterback battle moving forward? Do you expect it to be?
3: Yes, it it, it has to be a, like at least a discussion. Uh, I think because you know Bourget, the performance he had was so improbable, uh, and obviously picking up a win that was that was much needed for a team that was about to have like its worst start since the nineteen forties, nineteen forty two. Right. I, I, it was so momentous uh, that you just sort of get a stir of emotion uh, from from the coaches, from the players, from Borgay himself. And I feel like that now sort of uh, puts puts things into question for sure. Uh, would not expect him with that said uh, to start against Stanford. I feel like if Emery Jones uh, is good to go uh, by the time that game rolls around next weekend uh he will be in there uh taking snaps uh at least the first ones uh i feel like there's an unwritten rule uh that you don't necessarily replace your starting quarterback uh because of an injury uh and obviously we've we've noted this uh multiple times he was not bad uh when he exited the contest against washington he was 7 for 9 um 50 some odd passing yards. He was, he was moving the offense. They were moving. Uh, I think they were past midfield by the time uh, he got knocked out of the game, they were on their way to uh, to obviously scoring uh, on that drive, which, uh, you know, Borgay handed it off to, to Valadie to really close out that series. Right. So um, just keeping that all in mind, I feel like Emery, he's, he's, he's still, he's still the front runner, but to Cole's point uh, about the competition aspect, it's, it's interesting because when Emory came in and when preseason camp began, you know, really outside of Herm Edwards, what he was sort of saying in terms of pumping the brakes on naming a starting quarterback for whatever reason, you know, maybe obviously he mentioned, you know, perhaps he didn't want to give away uh, that information to, you know, their opponents uh, too early on for them to prepare. But, you know, really there was little question as to who was going to be the starter for this team. Uh, You know, Trenton Borgay, Paul Tyson, they were really fighting for backup uh, for the backup role, um, you know, at the very start of the season. So now that there's uh, some pressure, I think uh, some tension between Jones and Borgay for the for the top spot that could potentially drive Jones uh, into a different gear you know, just that sort of motivation can, can take him to another level potentially. Um, cause I, I do feel like Jones still might be uh, the better guy. I mean, cause it's, it's not necessarily the case that you wouldn't expect him to have as good or not better performance than Borgay did uh, judging from how well he started uh, before getting out. So I, I, you know, just want to pump the brakes a little bit on sort of jumping on the Borgay train, obviously a guano, you know, there's something to be said about how orga's an Arizona guy Aguano sort of trying to to push uh, this narrative about recruiting Arizona kids Arizona kids can win here uh, and that was great but still moving forward to, to stay realistic Jones is a starting quarterback and now he just has a little bit uh, of further motivation to make sure that he he proves that more consistently practice to practice and game to game
0: Chris what are your thoughts from what you've seen and in- maybe what you've seen over the years as well. Do you expect this to be a quarterback battle now?
1: I do. I actually, I very much do. I kind of disagree with a little bit with what Colin Noah said. Um, I mean, not necessarily entirely, but, uh, you know, first of all, I don't think that Emory Jones, I don't think the the motivation for Emory Jones shouldn't be, oh, hey, this guy's a little bit closer to you now. Uh, six games into the season. Like, I don't really feel like he's going to go dig down and find something that he didn't already have or put on the field. I don't really even believe in that. I, I think that's just not the way most people uh, are. Um, I think he was always trying his best. I, don't, I, I think that he has some limitations, but I also think that uh, guess he wasn't using him pro- 100% properly. I think part of this is the Herm Edwards and Glenn Thomas, ultra conservative at the outset of the season, way tougher opponents that they're playing. Everybody's trying to figure it out as they go. And Emory Jones is trying to conform to what they're asking him to do and be instead of maybe what is suits him best guy has 750 rushing yards at Florida. He's got negative rushing yards, like after four games of the season at ASU, he's playing against way harder defenses. Um, you know, like what if what if Trenton Bourget was a starting quarterback and Emory Jones came in against uh, Washington? I think he would have probably also uh, done well, right? So, you know, uh, ultimately, I think though that sometimes the stars align. Okay, the stars kind of aligned for Trenton Bourget, and especially when now Emory Jones. Why are they going to rush him back if he's if he had some potential head issue? Right. And they kept knocking him out of that game. He doesn't need to practice this week, does he? They're not playing this week. So that means that you, it, you get more reps. And even if he does practice, which maybe he does tomorrow, we'll see tomorrow. Uh, why wouldn't they go out there and throw those guys both out there as a, in a developmental week? Right. You might as well go see first team reps. Let's go see both these guys. I, I even think I'll take it a step further right? Uh, ASU had its worst start, as mentioned, since 1976. Why not just play them both at Stanford next week? See who looks better, you know? What, what, what are you actually, what, is, what, what, are you, what are you risking? You know, you, like you could say maybe, okay, ASU, they're still theoretically in the hunt, in the, in the conference, and maybe that's a reason why you want to try to figure out who your best quarterback is. I sometimes think you, you need to actually see it in games, a you know apples to apples comparison to be able to to know i think there is a reasonable possibility actually that trenton borgay is better than emory jones or at least better for what this team is right now um i don't know if that's the case though 100 i feel like it really could be could go either way i don't think that he's more physically gifted than emory jones by any stretch uh he's not bigger he doesn't have a better arm he's not a better athlete but it, operationally, may, maybe he is better. You know, Maybe he is a little bit better at finding the right guy to go throw the ball to and delivering it to that guy on time, getting it out of his hand. I don't know. I mean, we, I think we probably need to see more because, again, uh, that was the first we've ever seen a Borgay. It was against a bad defense, in a great situation, and um, he had been injured for a lot for the last year. We didn't really get to see – we, we saw no scrimmage reps or anything like that. Right. So um, so I'm not sure. I, I'm totally unconvinced at this point that either one of them about either one of them, you know, being the right guy for the job. Um, I just think that AC is doing a better job of using the quarterback position. I mean, they have like 63 snaps in the game and uh, 62 snaps in the game, 43 of those, the ball got in the hands of Valaday and Gada, Badger and Sanders, which I've been saying for weeks now. They need to get the ball in the hands of those guys repeatedly uh, in order to try to try to and and, and get more quick game and more RPOs. So now you're seeing all these things are happening, and um,
3: yeah, I don't know who should be the quarterback though. I feel like the motivation aspect. I, I don't I don't see why it's not valid. I mean, it, it's difficult for some players to compete against themselves to continue to further themselves. So I'm not really necessarily saying that he wasn't trying his best, but what is his best against himself versus another person when he's at risk of losing a potential role? I feel like that could definitely add something uh, to the equation for him. Go ahead, Chris. Well, yeah, I just... Well, I, I, I,
1: I don't know, maybe it's hard to tell, like, exactly to know how somebody's hardwired or whatever. But when he's preparing for an opponent every week, right, like he's getting ready for USC for the first time in the Coliseum. Do you think that knowing that maybe he could be replaced is going to make him prepare better for USC? I personally think very minimally, if at all. But you know, I don't know that for sure. It's just, it's fine to have this conversation. I just don't think that we're going to all of a sudden see a better version of Emory Jones. I think that he may be put in better situations though, which is different. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well,
0: already a discussion within just the source staff. So I am almost positive. There's a discussion about who should be the starting quarterback for ASU around ASU fan base and anyone following the team whatsoever. But you talked about it a little bit, Chris, in your statement about kind of what happened with Herm Edwards and Emory Jones playing under him, now playing under Iguano. Let's talk a little bit about just the this three-week period that the team's been under Sean Iguano and how he's done and kind of team development over that time. So, Cole, what have you seen from the team in terms of maybe how they've played or what they've done in practice or just development from the team in general and your thoughts on, on what the team's been like so far under interim head coach Sean Iguano?
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about it. Uh, we've touched on it a little bit, um, you know, since we've, been able to sort of take in practices and games um, since the team's been under Iguano. But uh, again, I think it's just the energy and just the, re- the way they respond, the way the that players respond to him and his um, his sort of philosophy, the passion he displays, how it sort of um, uh, rubs off on the players and how, he, you know, um, it gets them fired up. Uh, we heard a lot of players talk about how, uh, I think, I think it was Nesta after the game on Saturday, Nesta Jade Silvera um, said that he, he was like, I could play for Aguano any Saturday or any day of the week. And there was a few other players who sort of said something similar. It was, you know, th- just the way they've been able to respond to him um, sort of with this newfound energy and it all kind of culminated um, during Saturday's win Um you know, you could see it, it, that that's sort of what has stuck out to me the most. Um, And the one thing I also will say, and I'm not sure how it's been, this is obviously my first full year of covering the team. I'm not sure how it was, you know, in 2019, when they had the four game losing streak in the middle of the season, um, you know, sort of the difference there. But I, I, you know, with the similar stretch this year, you know, when we were talking to players, at least from my perspective, I didn't really get the you know, I didn't really get the vibe like it was, you know, this was a that this was a one in four team at, at, at certain points. You know, it, it morale just seemed higher. A lot of the players um, just seemed a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more optimistic, keeping keeping their their minds sort of on the positives. And I think that says a lot about Iguano um, in, in that case. Um, you know, they it's a very difficult it's a very difficult thing, I think, to. Um, you know sort of go through a coaching change if you're a player that's a really tough thing especially if it's a guy who recruited you or who um you know talked a lot about believing in you and and all this stuff and then to go from that to a guy that only certain position groups maybe know better than most and then having to respond to that and try and build a relationship with him and clearly you know he, he's just taken it in stride and um you know things have really worked out for him you know he exudes this passion, you can tell it means a lot to him. I mean, he shed, uh, he was holding back tears, you know, in, in his post game press conference after the wind, it, it was, it's those little, you know, little things and little moments and details that sort of, that definitely differ from, you know, Herm Edwards, um, in a big way. And I'd say that I think the players have probably, um, you know, at least from my perspective, it seems like the players have sort of responded to that a lot more than they did under Edwards.
0: Noah, what are your thoughts on what you've seen from Iguano so far as, as a head coach and in charge of the team?
3: Yeah. You know, I feel like just to push back a little bit on, on the Herm Edwards thing. I feel like the players still like, obviously, cause he's a player's guy. He's a player's coach, but what you saw with 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 the players after the Washington win was sort of the result of tough love gone right, uh, in a way. I saw a clip um, of Aguano sort of talking to the team. He got the game ball uh, apparently for the win, and you know he was even holding back tears in that. Uh, and I thought that was really emotional. Uh, even even just watching it, it was it was a pretty powerful thing in, in in that moment for him to be talking to his guys, sort of trying to finally tell them like, see, this is what happens. Um, you know, and, and he mentioned even himself that if they lost, it would have been tough to really pull them, uh, pull them back from, you know, some of the, the, I guess the self-talk that gets to you when you're as bad a team as, as a one in five team would be, uh, you know, there's still, They're still not there. They're two and four. But, you know, that was a huge turning point for them uh, because they finally saw a big sort of positive come out uh, of three hard weeks uh, of practice and and change in that way. Right. Because obviously they're stacking days. They talk about that. They're improving practice to practice and, and they see some of those small victories. Uh, but it really doesn't. It just doesn't hit the the same way, obviously, as a win does. Um, and he 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 feels Aguano feels like he he's got him now. Like they they see what can happen uh, if they continue to stick to uh to, you know the regimen that he's that he's implemented, which to Cole's point and and something all of us have really talked about is extremely different from uh, Herm Edwards's approach to running this program. Uh, so Aguano, you know. Hats off to him, the players. It it was a huge win for them. Promising sign for Sun Devil fans Uh, still have a long way to go. But that was especially heading into a bye week. That was huge for that to be able to linger a little bit longer even uh, before. I think we'll we'll talk about it before what I think are two winnable games even to extend uh, some of that success.
0: Chris, what are your thoughts on on Iguano so far at the helm?
1: Yeah, I think my perspective is probably a little bit different than a lot of people. Um, ASU's team always was capable of beating Washington at home. Right? The, what happened was uh, a very poor coaching job uh, proved to look like a very stark contrast to what would be sort of like a – Perfectly reasonable, solid coaching job. Not an extraordinary thing that has happened here. We all thought ASU was going to win at least five games, right? All of us this year. And one of those five games, good chance was going to be beating Washington at home. Yeah, Washington looked a little better than we thought or whatever. But ASU never should have ended up in a hole where it was a 14-point underdog against Washington. That happened because of how bad that things got with Herm Edwards, which was Herm Edwards' fault, right? And ASU would have done better with Sean Aguano, but ASU isn't now suddenly uh, doing so dramatically better than what should have been the case with this particular team, with this roster, with this situation in one game. You can't really say that, right? You have to see what's going to happen over the next six, six games. And if... ASU goes out and continues to show a lot of great progress um, over that period of time and wins like maybe four more games out of six games. Okay, great. Let's come back and let's revisit this thing. and Let's, let's, let's kick the tires on whether Sean Iguano should realistically be given a shot to be ASU's head coach or whatever. But we are not there now like by any stretch, in my opinion, based upon um, – one game against Washington. So uh, i not telling everybody to pump their brakes. I mean, people should be excited about what Sean O'Garren's done. He's a great guy. Uh, it's like he has an amazing trajectory to see him go from an assistant coach to a head coach at the high school level to ASU assistant to interim head coach. Like He's a really nice, cool guy. So there's a lot of things that you go, okay, cool. But uh, got a lot more that we need to see in the, in the coming weeks.
0: And speaking of of a lot more to see in the coming weeks, we did this already once this season. I believe it was when Iguano was named the interim head coach. We talked about expectations versus what your expectations were at the beginning of the season. Let's do it again. Let's talk about your guys' expectations. Just compare them to what you have had so far. And now after seeing what Iguano has done with the team to this point, maybe your expectations have changed, maybe they've not. And then also give your expectations for what's going to happen for the rest of the season. So, Cole, I'll go to you first.
2: Yeah, I mean, I predicted this team at the beginning of the year to go 5-7. and I'm not changing that. Um, I think that I probably would have been leaning more towards 4-8 and if this was a loss um, to Washington that we were talking about today, but that obviously was not the case. Um, I think the rest of the way, and I think we talked a little bit about this after the game, um, I think, uh, and I think we're all in agreement here. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure, but I think four and two is more likely than two and four um, the rest of the way. And I think, you know, going, coming out of the break, playing Stanford, you know, even though it's on the road, that's, that's a team that hasn't, you know, done, you know, they've been pretty suspect this year. They played really good against Oregon state, but they ultimately collapsed in the end there Um obviously going on the road against Colorado. I mean, as bad as Colorado has been this year, you could play them anywhere and it probably goes well for you. Um, and then, I mean, I think the tougher, toughest matchups are probably going to be, you know, Oregon State and then um, definitely Washington State on the road is a tougher game. Uh, UCLA, obviously. So those games I think are, um, you know, especially Oregon State, is that one's probably a little bit more of a toss-up. But outside of that, I do think they can beat Stanford. I do think they can beat Colorado for sure. I think if there's any guaranteed win remaining on the schedule, it's that one. Um, I think Arizona is, is a, is a toss-up this year as well, but I do think they can pull that one out. Um, and boom, that's, that's three additional wins uh, to put them at five and seven.
0: Noah, has it even changed from your – Preseason predictions, and then even halfway through, what you had, and then what are your expectations for the rest of the season?
3: Yeah, so just to sort of reestablish what what sort of the progression was on my end, uh, I had them at five and seven before the season had started, and then I dropped them down a game actually after the Eastern Michigan upset, uh, which I thought was was pretty warranted. Uh, I I didn't think there was a way to really project. Uh, things to turn out the way they did uh, these past three weeks, which I thought was uh, that that's sort of why I'm 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 a little bit more upbeat with with the Washington win and sort of how that culminates in the three weeks under Aguano. Uh, but now I'd say they're at least a game up uh, in terms of where I expect them to be by the end of the season. So really went from five and seven to four and eight, and now back. Uh, to five and seven, there's still, there's still some tough games there. And, you know, I definitely slate Colorado as the easy one uh, of the bunch, but, you know, Stanford, Stanford's going to be a tough one. Uh, they, they showed uh, that they're probably better than initially, uh, than they initially showed um, with the win over Oregon state. Uh, obviously that was a close one. It, it's just going to be a dogfight fight with a lot of these teams, uh, Stanford, UCLA, Washington state, Oregon state. Um, but one thing is that, you know, some of those games are at home, so UCLA is going to be in Tempe, Oregon State's going to be in Tempe. Um, so you know, there's there's all of those factors that come into play. Um, I, I still think going down to Tucson at the end of the year is going to be a tough one for them to pull out. I mean, it's obviously just it's going to depend on how the circumstances are at that point in time. Arizona, they're they're sort of it seems like they're on an upward trajectory, even though they still struggled. Uh, ASU, you know, could be a week or two away from hiring a new head coach that, you know, at least in my opinion, will likely not be Sean Aguano. So, you know, there's sort of just a feeling potentially to just get through that last one. But uh, it really just depends on how they perform up to that point. So my my expectation is, you know, five wins. you, You add the Colorado one, that's three. And then out of Stanford, UCLA, Washington State, Oregon State, Arizona two wins out of those five I mean it's it's not out of the question um, I'm still a little bit hesitant to say that it's like extremely likely but it's definitely plausible and so that sort of moved me up uh, back to what my preseason prediction was at five and seven
0: Chris what about you
3: yeah
1: no I don't know exactly exactly what you meant by um, try to get through that last one with the Arizona game but the territorial cup is—that's—that's <laughs> that's a different animal, buddy. Like that, especially when that might be your bowl game or feel like your bowl game. And especially, especially when you're when the players are rallying behind Sean Aguano and try to get try to get him the head coaching job. They're, 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 like you're they are gonna play that game as if they're were in the college football playoff. I think so. I don't see in any way. That game isn't going to be brutal. And also, by the way, in that game, very often the worst team wins historically. So you you just have to throw everything out when it comes to the territorial cup game. I'll just tell you that right now. No matter where it's where it's played, who you think is better, whatever, it's gonna be it's gonna be brutal. And the teams are gonna the teams are gonna fight their, their rear ends off. Remember, especially after ASU humiliated uh, U of A the last time they played there, right? Um, so yeah, so that, there's that. But I think, ultimately, you can't really go game by game in preseason and then think that that's going to be the same. But you can get a sense of what you think about a team overall. About ASU was a 6-6 six and six team, but maybe a 5 and seventeen. Those were the two most likely outcomes. Here we are. Yeah, ASU lost to Eastern Michigan, but then beat Washington and probably will end up somewhere around five wins.
3: I just feel it depends on like their performance up to that point. Say they pull out the win against Colorado, and that's the only one they pull out. Will winning the game against Arizona really in the players' minds feel like, oh yeah, this is going to be a make-or-break thing to really make Oguano's chances that much that much better yeah. again. I, I that's why I said it sort of depends on how they're performing up to that point to really see how yeah. the morale is going into it. That that's yeah, I hear
1: you, but that's only one factor. There's like a bunch of factors that I think all all together make that a different sort of a total different beast.
0: Either way, it should be interesting to see what Sean Iguano can do with this team moving forward. But let's move on to Pick the Pack, where we give you all of our predictions for Pack 12 football this weekend. There is no Arizona State, as we talked about them being on a bye, but there are still five games we are going to predict. We'll give you the standings. Moneyline, Cole, Ethan, and Chris all tied at 41 and 10, Noah at 40 and 11. And after a pretty bad week for Noah at 0 and 5 of spread, he's gone from top dog in spread to bottom dog. Chris, Cole, and Ethan all tied at 26 and 25, Noah 25 and 26. This week, we will pick and order Chris, Ethan, Noah, then Cole. Before we do that, Noah wants to say something.
3: The 0 and 5 guy doesn't get to say anything. It was bad. It was a bad week, but I'm still right there. You know, the fact that I'm still one game behind each of you, I probably should say something of how I performed up to that point. So yeah, yes. bad weeks. It happened.
0: Yes, you you choked a big lead that you had, and now you are below everyone. But you Four are close. Five. We are we are we are close, I guess, in that regard. But as I said, Chris, Ethan, Noah, Cole. Uh, and we'll figure out exactly what will happen this week. Maybe Noah will go five and zero. Oh. Uh, He will probably hope so. But first game, Chris, we're going to you. Cal at Colorado. Cal is a minus 14 and a half favorite.
1: Well, I'm never going to pick Colorado until Colorado proves that it can beat a spread. So Cal covers.
0: I'm going Cal and covers for the exact same reason.
3: Cal covers.
2: Yeah, Colorado is worse than Cheeks. So Cal covers.
0: All right, next up, Arizona at Washington. Washington is a minus 14 and a half favorite.
2: I
1: am going to take Washington, win, Arizona, cover. The defense is so bad at Washington, and I think that that ends up being another shootout.
0: All right, I'm going to go Washington to win and cover. I think they're at home. They played a lot better at home. Throughout the season, and they're going to want to rebound after the Arizona State loss. So I'm going to go Washington win and cover.
3: Ooh, um, I mean, I feel like it's it's a toss up this one. I, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Washington win, uh, no cover. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Washington win, no cover. Arizona does have does have some, you know, they're just so much more improved feel like just given Washington coming off two losses, they might be motivated uh to go a little bit further. But you know, Arizona, Washington's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a close one. You
0: also go with Arizona almost every week. So that, that's definitely on brand.
2: Washington win no cover.
0: All right. Everyone that's a chance for me, I guess, to uh pick up some points. Uh everyone goes Washington win the cover, except for me. Next up, wazoo at Oregon State. Oregon State, a minus three and a half favorite.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna, man, I'm gonna take uh, Washington State to win. But
0: oh, oh, all right. I'm gonna go Oregon State to win and cover. I think you know they, they've got it in them. They, of course, was it was a, a last second touchdown, but they're, they're fighting. So it's a three and a half line. I'm gonna go Oregon State to win and cover. I'm
3: gonna go with Washington win uh, straight up.
2: Oregon State win and cover.
3: All right, so splitting that one.
0: There's a lot of differences so far this week already. Stanford at Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a minus
1: 17 favorite. Notre Dame's not that good, but Stanford's just so brutal. Um, I think I'm going to go with Notre Dame win and cover.
0: I'm going to go Notre Dame winning cover. I think they've been finding some good stuff recently in the last couple games. So, just beat BYU. They seem to be finding it on a little bit better, at least on both sides of the ball. So, Notre Dame winning cover.
3: I'm going to go with Notre Dame win, uh, but no cover.
2: Yeah, Notre Dame win, no cover.
0: All right, USC at Utah is the last one. Utah is a minus three and a half favorite.
1: Yeah, this is the one I've been really struggling on uh, quite a bit. Um, I just think this is the week that USC's offense doesn't have nearly as good of a showing. And I'm going to go with Utah to win and cover. I'm going to go USC to
0: win.
3: I am going to take USC to win. Yep, USC to
2: win outright.
0: Oh, Chris is happy about that opportunity for Chris. To make up some ground, it will be a interesting week for all parties. There could be some points lost, some points gained, and maybe Noah won't be last and both of them. It might end up being me. But anyways, thank you for listening along to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. Make sure to stay tuned to all of our content as we've got a lot of stuff coming up to you around the corner. It is a bye week, but there will still be tons of content. There's coaching search. There's There's new sports as well, so make sure to stay tuned. To all of our content, as we will be keep you up to base on all ASU sports. But for now, I've been Ethan Ryder, joined by Chris Cartman, Cole Bradley, and Noah Ventado. See you guys next time.